In recent weeks on Sunday mornings, Christoph has been guiding us through the whole topic of the family and its implications for us as Christians. Uh, he began, those of you who were, who were there uh, a number of weeks ago, looking at how our biological families uh, can really only have, have meaning and fulfillment as we see them in the context of our first family, which is the family of God. He drew our attention to phrases such as uh, Christ's words, who are my brothers and sisters and mother, but those who hear the, the will of my word of my Father in heaven and do his will. Uh, and then that rather interesting and somewhat controversial phrase where he says with typical uh, Semitic overstatement that unless someone hates their, their mother or father, they are not worthy to be his disciples. Drawing attention to the fact that everything, uh, even those closest and dearest to us, must uh, be subsumed underneath uh, the family of God and the will of God. He then went on to look at the uh, issues of being part of the Christian family as they relate to the whole topic of singleness, and then to the issue of marriage, and then last week as he looked at the issue of the home as a base for Christian hospitality. I often find it much easier when, when Christoph tells me what to preach on uh, than he just says, do whatever you want, because uh, I normally spend an inordinate amount of time actually trying to work out what I'm going to be preaching on rather than uh, preparing the, the sermon. But tonight I thought in the light of that series on the family, that, that many of you will have been present at, and in order, I suppose, to bring it uh, into the evening service, for those of you who just come in the evening, I would do a one-off and decide to tackle another issue uh, in relation to that subject. And that is the whole subject of children, and specifically the role of children in the new covenant, particularly when in every Christian church there will be couples that have to deal with the issue of childlessness or who have decided for whatever reason to remain childless. If there are pastoral issues arising out of singleness, and Christoph dealt with those the other Sunday morning, then there are also pastoral and theological issues arising out of the issue of childlessness. And it may also have wider implications than we think. In my pastoral experience, I've come across what might be termed secondary childlessness. Couples who have had one child and would dearly love to have another, but for whom that doesn't look like being the case. And spiritual childlessness Parents whose children were brought up in the faith, but who have now grown up, left home, and show no signs of following in the faith footsteps of their parents. Now, as, as someone who myself is, is not a parent, I'm conscious that I'm not the best person to address the, the many and complex issues connected with parenting, or some of the pain arising out of involuntary childlessness although hopefully I'll be able to flag up some issues that the church needs to be aware of there. My interest is primarily in how, whether we're parents or non-parents, we can still be a family of God whose real passion 
is the reproduction of spiritual children. But let's look first at the very real issue uh, for many people in today's church, and that is the issue of involuntary childlessness. And the first thing to say most obviously is, of course, that this is a very real pastoral issue. Like many pastoral issues, it carries its own pain. It's very much a bereavement, particularly for those who have miscarried or have had stillbirths, but also for those who have never conceived and who speak quite powerfully of the monthly bereavement as they try unsuccessfully to become pregnant. How well is any of our church's pastoral care set up sufficient to care for such? Because if somebody has a regular bereavement, it's obvious. It's out in the open. It's marked by a funeral or a burial. For, for childless couples who have many of the same emotions, they are often left to grieve alone. And that's why it is very much a church issue. If this is our family, folks, as Christoph has been reminding us, then we need to grieve with those who grieve. As we sang earlier, I will weep when you are weeping. When you laugh, I laugh with you. And part of this is being careful with our language and vocabulary and the simplest of things. Sometimes the smallest sensitivities can mean a lot. This week I got my blue book, which is the annual reports for this year's General Assembly, the tried and tested foolproof cure for insomnia, if uh, anybody so wishes. And what I found in this, in a, in, a, in, a, in a report on pastoral care, I found the following. Reflections, talking about ministers here, reflections from ministers who are single suggest that a greater awareness and sensitivity from congregations and colleagues could meet many of the needs of this group. Thanks to the secretary of the Minister's Wives Association this year, only ministers who have wives will receive an invitation to the minister's wife's lunch. That's us at the cutting edge as usual. If single people soon get tired of elderly relatives poking them in the chest at weddings and saying, it will be you next, and I usually find they stop doing that if you do the same to them at funerals. If if single people get tired of that, then childless people can get very hurt at the insensitive of well-meaning inquiries from friends and relatives as to when they're going to have their first. The church has never really been very good at this, have we, as a rule? Single guys, for instance, get asked why there's no girl on the go. Well, do you ever stop to think, what if they would dearly love that to be the case? Or what if they're gay? Dating couples get asked in no time if there is a ring on the way. Married couples get asked about when the children are coming along. And in the case of one couple we knew who had five children, they constantly get asked when they're going to stop. You don't seem to be able to win sometimes. It's one thing 
as part of a pastoral support network to be able to get close enough to people, maybe in a small group environment or in a developing friendship, to be able to ask some of those questions in a caring way. It's another thing to ask them jovially and with mock humor as if it was just the normal thing for everybody to be married and to have 2.5 children. Childlessness, therefore, and its implications is a discipleship issue for all of us. It's for the church in terms of how it shows compassion and understanding to the childless. But it's for the couple themselves and how they seek God's will for their lives and what that will mean. Lives that maybe haven't turned out quite as, they, quite as what they would have planned. Some of you here may remember Dr. Ruth Crooks, a GP here in Cares Room Surgery in East Belfast. She happened to be a good friend of ours, the wife of my best man, actually Jim. Ruth died at the age of 37 after only seven weeks' illness. And in his short record of her life and death, Jim writes this. Ruth loved children. Her greatest natural desire was to be a mother. So you can imagine her pain when some years into our marriage it became apparent that God was not going to grant us children. We made two important choices during this time. Firstly, we chose to deal with the situation together as a couple. And secondly, we chose not to become bitter. He writes, I say this to anyone walking the path that we have had to tread, and I say it with a tender heart. Bitterness is a waste of time. By God's grace, you can make the tough choice to stay close to Him. Some of Ruth's Bible study notes came to light recently to me. She had copied material from Christian books on the subject of waiting. They reveal the depth of her pain, but also the spiritual wisdom which she demonstrated in choosing how to handle that pain. One excerpt was this. Waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. It may be the hardest single thing that we are called to do. Why does God make us wait? If He can do anything, why doesn't He bring us relief and answers now? Well, what God does in us while we wait is as important as the thing we are waiting for. Waiting isn't just something we have to do until we get what we want. It is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It is the daily decision to say, I will trust you and I will obey you even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way I want them to and may never turn out the way I would choose. I am betting everything on you, God. I have no plan B. The wisdom to trust God through her pain paid its dividend. For many years, Ruth managed the weekly baby clinic at the surgery where she worked. God gave her so much strength and peace that she felt genuinely happy when her patients noticed the first kick or saw the first images of their unborn child. She used to tell me with delight that her sense of strength and peace was God-given, not intrinsic.
just as people who find themselves involuntarily single need to discern over time how that singleness will open opportunities for service unavailable to them if they were married, so too childless couples need to ask and discern what opportunities of service God might be leading them into as part of their walk of discipleship. For some, it might be fostering or adoption. For others, it will be other types of ministry made possible because of their circumstances. If we move on then from the issue of uh, involuntary childlessness to look at the issue of voluntary childlessness, I guess the first question we need to ask is a simple one. Is this actually a Christian option? I think it's safe to say that some reasons for voluntarily remaining childless are not Christian options. Selfish reasons to do with money or careerism or not wanting your own comfortable life as a couple interrupted, as one writer says, to get lost in romantic coupledom. Any reason that would devalue or undermine the amazing gift of new life that is a young child. It should, of course, also be noted that some reasons for having children or wanting children can also be equally selfish. Fear of loneliness in old age, living out our unfulfilled dreams through our children, etc. Nevertheless, there would be some who would deny that voluntary childlessness is an option for Christians. I think the most articulate argument against this, or, or, or yes, against voluntary childlessness, has come from a chap called Christopher Ash in a recent book, who argues that the whole purpose of marriage and of sex is not intimacy, but fulfilling God's plan and serving Him in partnership through having children. And the producing of children is part of God's purpose for marriage. He rightly argues against couples in today's age using sex and marriage in a purely selfish way, and he bases a lot of his arguments on Genesis 1 and 2, the command to populate the earth that Gwen read at the start. However, I think the weakness of that argument is that it doesn't seem to deal with the reality of childlessness today. He never really interacts with the claim that you could choose to be childless for the kingdom. In fact, he actually dismisses that as over-spiritualization. He is unfairly cynical of the motives of couples who have chosen to remain childless, claiming that childless for the kingdom is simply trying to spiritually justify a personal preference. I also don't think that he takes seriously some of the fundamental differences between the Old and New Testaments. I'll come back to that. Sufficient to say at this stage that in some cases, Voluntary childlessness, I believe, can be a Christian option. But like all childless couples, it becomes both a discipleship issue and an opportunity. If a couple truly are childless for the kingdom, then they will always need to be working out what that means for their discipleship and for their opportunities of service. Otherwise, just as married couples with children can become self-focused and idolize their biological families, so too childless couples can become self-absorbed in that phrase, uh, romantic coupledom, so that they forget all about the kingdom. As I move on to, to look at how all of this ties into the notion of spiritual children, it's important to look at some Bible passages. First of all, in the Old Testament, in the first chapter, 
God tells the first couple to be fruitful and increase and to populate the earth. And then later in his dealings with Abraham, he specifically promises blessing to him through his offspring, a promise that actually harkens back to Genesis 3. And after the fall, the promise to Eve that through her offspring or through her seed, Satan would be crushed. Now, the significance in all of this is that reproduction, particularly reproduction within the line of promise traced in the Old Testament, was essential to the achievement of God's purposes in the Old Testament. Many Old Testament books contain genealogies, those bits that you skip over in your personal devotions. And that was because Messiah, Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David, Satan crusher, was to be born of a woman. The Old Testament is leading us up to the climax of Bethlehem. In the many narratives of the births of the Old Testament heroes and patriarchs, the phrase is used of the mother, and God opened her womb. He blessed the mother. Childlessness in the Old Testament, therefore, was seen among the people of God as God withholding his favor, even at times as a curse. Which is why there are stories of the childless couples whose wombs God eventually opens, Rachel, Sarah, Hannah. But significantly, there are no instances recorded in the Old Testament of unresolved childlessness among the people of God. There are no instances in the Old Testament of unresolved childlessness among the people of God. Therefore, pastorally, it is not a helpful place to look in dealing with this issue. Now, is it, is it not strange that if there was not something different, something radically new about the Christian era, is it not strange that the Bible would remain silent about such an important issue, an issue in which it was so eloquent in the Old Testament? Even a casual reading of the Old Testament leads us to understand that God wants to bless all His people with children. And you will find verses like that in uh, some of the evenings to come, we're going to be looking at the Psalms of Ascent, and there are phrases in there about, you know, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of arrows, and sons are an inheritance from the Lord. The Old Testament is quite explicit about that, and that no matter how hopeless the circumstances seemed, Sarah, Hannah, prayer and faith meant that the mother eventually received what she prayed for. So then we have to ask, why are so many godly Christian couples childless? The only answer can be that something very important and very fundamental has changed. The first clue is at the very start of the New Testament, when in Matthew chapter 1 and then also in Luke chapter 3, we have the last biblical genealogies. When Jesus arrives on the scene, the need for genealogies disappears. Paul warns the New Testament church against dabbling in genealogies. They are a futile waste of time, he says. The next clue comes in John chapter 1. John doesn't have a genealogy. He doesn't have a birth narrative. Instead, he takes us not to Bethlehem, 
but to heaven in prehistory. He focuses on God's big plan, the Word becoming flesh. And he writes in John 1 and verse 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of a human decision, not of a husband's will, but born of God. He prepares the way for a whole new dispensation. A dispensation where what would be important would not be biological lineage, but spiritual lineage. Not birth through reproduction, but spiritual birth through regeneration. We add to that Jesus' comments about being born again by the Spirit in John 3, the various New Testament analogies of being born by the Spirit. And we see a whole new picture emerging. The emphasis suddenly for the New Testament church is on propagation, not through having children, but through evangelism and incorporating those who come to faith into the radical new family of God. Those who have been born, in Peter's words, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Therefore, childlessness, although, as we have seen, coming with its own human pain and cost, is no longer a spiritual issue. It's no longer in any way to be associated with God's displeasure or His withholding of His blessing. Yes, one particular blessing, and a child may be denied, but the new blessing of being able to participate in the birth and raising of spiritual children can still be experienced. The reality of childlessness within the church shows us that we've entered a whole new arena with the coming of Christ, an arena where primacy is now given to the creation of more children for God's family. To summarize then, if we're looking at voluntary childlessness, it essentially rests on the difference between the two covenants. The fact remains, God's purposes were achieved. They had to be achieved through childbearing under the Old Testament until Christ arrived, born of a woman, the line of David. In the new covenant, God's purposes are achieved through spiritual birth. Sex is not just for procreation. Otherwise, we get into all sorts of further moral debates about contraception and family planning. Sex is an expression of intimacy, and there's nothing wrong with that. Selfish abuse of it shouldn't detract from it as a wonderful gift of God. And one final point on this issue. Parenthood surely is a calling. There are those who are involuntarily single, but there are also those who have chosen to be single, who have accepted that as their calling, just as there are those who believe they were called to be married. Is it not possible to have that first calling to be married, but to feel that for a variety of personal and ministry reasons that you're not called to the further level of being parents? I believe it is. It's the journey Gwen and I have been on, and we'd be happy to discuss it with any who wish. How many parents have embarked carelessly and thoughtlessly on the task of parenthood, bringing unwanted children into a hostile family environment? Embarking thoughtlessly on parenthood is surely as much a recipe for disaster as embarking thoughtlessly on marriage. 
marriage and parenthood are callings. I'm conscious that for many here this evening this is not your situation, although I hope it might help in some way assist you in understanding and interacting with those who find themselves in any sort of childless position. But I want to end this evening with some universal applications because this issue does have implications for all of us. First of all, the gospel challenges our selfishness as much in this issue as in any other. Whether we're proud parents or struggling, feeling inadequate parents or single wanting to be married and be parents or married and wanting to have children, whatever our situation, the gospel challenges our motives. How self-absorbed are we in our families, in our struggle, in our pain, in our comfort? Whatever our lot, it will always be easy to revert to our natural fallen nature of selfishness. The kingdom calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him on the road of sacrifice. This may mean putting aside our desires and wishes and trusting him. It might mean handing our families over to God and getting our priorities right. Whatever, God must take the preeminence. Secondly, if the New Testament emphasis is on spiritual children, childless or not, this must be our passion. At the end of that very difficult parable in Luke's gospel about the shrewd manager, Jesus speaks about us using our material resources in such a way as we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whatever else that might mean, I think it means at least that how we use our status, how we use our resources in this life will have eternal consequences. Will we be welcomed into heaven by some of our spiritual children? Will we welcome them into heaven? I pray so. The ultimate aim of the Christian life is not to raise four good children and see them all pass their exams, come to faith, marry well, and bear you grandchildren. That is far, far too small a goal, too trivial for followers of the Lord of creation. If you make that your goal, you will only heap expectations on yourselves and on your children, and you will be disappointed. No, the ultimate aim for the children of God is to bear fruit for the Master. Let's have a passion to be those who bear spiritual children. That brings me finally, and I hope with a sense of completeness, to where Christoph began. In all of this, our focus needs to be on setting our own domestic situation, whatever that may be, in the context of our first family, the family of God. So let us together as the family of God in this place, single, married, parents, childless, 
support one another in our various callings and work together to be spiritually fruitful and increase in number. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts and you know our situation. There isn't a discipleship issue that is easy. You said as much, Lord, when you came at the cost of that discipleship and what it would mean. But as some of us have been seeing in our, in our discipleship groups, the cost of non-discipleship is so much greater. And therefore, we ask that you would be with us, that you would comfort us, that you would guide us, that you would challenge us. Whatever our situation, that we might say it is well with our souls. For the anxieties and cares of parents, who every day worry about their children. For the anxieties and cares of the childless, who every day ask the question, why? For the anxieties and the cares of the single, or the bereaved, or the divorced, or the widowed, wherever we may be, Lord, through your grace and in this family, may we find our true fellowship. May we find spiritual brothers and sisters. And may you empower us to have the joy of begetting spiritual children. In Jesus' name.